صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي ام اند باليستاين ريمبرد وذ روبرت مارتن ناصر مشني اند يوسف احمد الريماوي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Palestine Remembered. Today, we've got the distinct honour of being joined by a fantastic supporter of Palestine, Mick on Mick's Walk to Palestine. He's a trade unionist, internationalist, and campaigner for justice for Palestinians and the refugees. And he joins us today from somewhere in Macedonia. Good morning, Mick. How are you? Hello there, Nasser. Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, it's great, it's great to be on your program. I'm actually in um, the city of Bitola uh, in the Republic of North Macedonia. Wow. Now, our listeners don't know, but I do know about Mick's walk to Palestine. We know where you are now, but that's not where you're actually from, Mick. Where are you from? No, it's not. I mean, I live in, uh, in the UK. I live in uh, Newcastle-upon-Tyne. And uh, yeah, that's 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 my home, uh, my 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 hometown. Um, and uh, I've been active in campaigning for Palestine in 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 the UK for for many years. What brought you to Palestine? I think there's a number of things. I mean, I think it was it was very much embedded in my political awakening, if you like, when I was probably in my late teens. I I you know I, I remember being. Uh, uh, is part of being a socialist, if you like, uh, was being is being an internationalist, um, and uh, I was aware, became aware of the, the 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 great injustice being perpetrated against the Palestinians at quite quite a young age. It was part of my political awareness, really, and I think um, the sense that Britain has a particular responsibility uh, for what has happened to the Palestinians, going back to when we had the mandate. Uh, in in Palestine, and then there's a, the infamous Balfour Declaration of 1917, which set the grounds, if you like, for the dispossession and the displacement of Palestinians, which has happened ever since. So it's a combination of part and parcel of becoming an internationalist, becoming aware of this issue, aware of Britain's particular responsibility in it, and just the sense that it's just such a profound injustice that's being perpetrated against the Palestinians. Brilliant. Mick, thank you so much for your support, and obviously decades long. Mick, you're walking to Palestine, and the basis of which is to raise awareness about the injustice yes. and apartheid that is occurring for the Palestinians. Where did you come yes. up with the idea? Well, it, it, it came, I suppose, the germ of the idea came from reading a book called Walking to Jerusalem, uh, which came out in, uh, in 2018. And it chronicles, uh, it was written by a guy called uh, Justin Butcher. Uh, and it chronicles the the walk by a group of people from a, a progressive Christian organization called the Amos Trust in 2017, uh, who were Palestinian activists. And as part of the commemoration of the infamous Balfour Declaration, the 100th anniversary, uh, they walked from uh, Canterbury in the UK all the way through to uh, Jerusalem. So I read this book and I thought, I found it very inspiring. 
And I thought the germ of the idea came from from that. Uh, but it wasn't until I uh, knew I was going to be retiring from work at the end of last year that I realized that now I've got the opportunity to do it. So I began to firm up the idea. And it became a, a sense of like a new, another form, another strand of my activism, if you like. Um, so something a bit different, uh, something which I thought had the opportunity to reach out to people uh, and speak to people beyond the, beyond the converted, if you like. So yeah, so the idea came from that, from, re- from reading that book uh, and it developed from there. So I know some of the people from the Amos Trust. I didn't know that they actually did that walk. That's, that's no small undertaking. Uh, they arrange walks inside Palestine for, for people to do heritage walks. They, they do, yes. And they, they do so house, house building projects for people who've had their, their, their home, Palestinians who've had their homes demolished by the, by, by, by the Israeli state. Um, so they do a lot of very, very progressive work. Mick, take me through the um, logistics. How long ago did you leave? Uh, I set off from Calais in northern France on the 16th of April. So that's what that's uh, about three and a half months ago now. The total mileage of the walk which from, from Calais to, to Istanbul uh, is just over 2,000 miles, about 2,100 miles. So it, it involves crossing eight countries, France, Switzerland, Italy, uh, and then across, getting a ferry across the Adriatic to uh, Durez in Albania, walking through Albania. And now I'm in North Macedonia. After North Macedonia, it'd be Greece, and then on to through Turkey to Istanbul. Now, because of the geopolitics of the area, um, it's not possible to walk into the land crossing into, into Palestine through the West Bank. Um, or the, you have to go through Jordan, and it's not possible to walk into Jordan from, from Turkey because you'd either have to go through Syria or Iraq, which just isn't possible. So we'll be flying from uh, Istanbul to Amman in Jordan and then walk the last little bit across to the Allenby Bridge crossing into, into Palestine. Um, so it's six, it's six months in all, started 16th of April. Uh, hopefully I'll reach Istanbul by beginning of first part of October and then straight and then across to the, the West Bank soon after that. So six months and about 2,100 miles. 2,100 miles. Yeah, it's about three and a half thousand kilometers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many miles a day do you walk? Uh, usually it's a, probably averages, averages out about 15, 15 miles a day. So about 20, between 25 and 30 kilometers. Um, I mean, it, 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 I have done up to 40 kilometers, but that's taking a bit too far and that's stretching it a bit, bit much. And also at, at the moment, through the. Um, since walking through Albania and Macedonia and probably into Greece, it's very hilly countryside. So realistically, um, 25 kilometers a day, which is, say, is about um, is about 15 miles, is 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 is, is a sensible sensible amount. Now, Mick, support. How how do you do it? I mean, you're not carrying six months worth of food with you. No, no, <laughs> but I'm backpacking, um, so that means I'm carrying me my my camping equipment with me. I've got a lightweight lightweight tent and sleeping bag, and um, um, fully self contained. Um, the reason I'm I'm doing it backpacking is because I'm on a very tight budget. Basically, I made a conscious decision not to seek any sponsorship or any funding for this in any way at all, but to fund the whole project out of my own resources. Basically, my my, 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 my local government pension. Um, so because of that, I, I've needed to, to camp where I can uh, and then staying in, 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 in cheap hotels, uh, hostels. And for the first part of the walk through France, Switzerland and Italy, I was following an old pilgrimage route called the Via Francigena, 
Uh, and because I was classed as a pilgrim, I could have ac access to some cheap uh, accommodation in religious houses and things. Um, so, yeah, so I'm carrying everything I need on, me, on, on in my backpack, um, camping when I can. Um, but especially with being the very hot weather recently, that has again, that hasn't been feasible. Um, so cheap sleeping in cheap hotels, um, hostels, things like that in the evening. If, if you're walking between two towns and you walk 25, yes. 30 kilometres, 20 miles. Yes. Often there won't be hotels. They're not... They don't sit every twenty kilometers on on the road or thirty. No, kilometers. well, that, so you must that, be doing a lot. That's of right. I mean, it, went, it, <laughs> it wasn't so much of a problem in in um, France, Switzerland, and Italy. Um, you could normally um, plan in advance, book into places, or there was campsites, that sort of thing. And it was also um, it, it was actually easier to, to wild camp in some in, in in parts of France and in, in Italy than it has been in in the Balkans. Uh, but since crossing over to um, to Albania, um, the infrastructure is, is, is far less developed. Um, mm. So it, it's always a bit of a – you never quite <laughs> – very often when I start out at the beginning of the day, I'm never quite sure what type of accommodation or even if there is going to be accommodation at the end of it. Um, so sometimes I, I might turn up at a, a town after I've walked, say, 15 miles – and then there isn't anything that might that I might have to walk on for another few miles to to find some lodging um, or somewhere to camp. So it's always a bit of a gamble when you start off on the day as to uh, exactly where you're going to be where you're going to be staying at the end at the end of the day. I've got to tell you, you're living the real Palestinian experience there—the uncertainty, the uh, insecurity yeah. of lodging. You're, you're almost a Gazan. Now, Mick, have you had some support along the way? I mean, food, shelter from. Uh, supporters of the, of the cause and of you? Yeah, I mean, occasionally. I mean, for example, in 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 in, uh, in Italy, uh, I, I I was invited invited by activists to speak at a couple of events, and they put me up for the evening. I've been met with great kindness by people. In, just recently in Albania, about um, just over probably about ten days ago, I was walking in the countryside on the way on my way to Elbasan, and I was really wilting in the heat because it was during the heat wave and. Mm. Um, I'd walked about 30 kilometers and I was really struggling. And this uh, car pulled up and it turned out to be a family who were from Albania, but had been lived, settled in the UK for many years and were back on holiday. And they were so kind. They not only took me into the house for drinks, but they drove me to the town at the end of my destination and sponsored me in an air-conditioned hotel for a couple of nights. So there's been some really nice, really nice things like that have happened with the, the, the kindness of strangers, um, as well as... Um, being put up at uh, where I've spoken at spoken at events, um, so yeah, it's so it, but it, it, there's always been an element, as you say, of not not quite knowing what where I'm going to be staying at the end end of the day. And I think maybe if I just make reference to the fact that one of the other strands of what I'm doing is is to highlight the the situation of of refugees, people who are often doing the walk that I've done, but but coming from the other direction, have ended up at Cali rather than starting out from Cali. Um, and I'm uh, trying to highlight where I can the the, the you know the impact of yeah people who've been forcibly displaced from their homes and how we should be much more welcoming. So I think my my experience is going to be a little, just a tiny little taste of what what their their experience has been is it's been like as well. I mean, it really is amazing, Mick. Um, I'm just trying to fathom. Um, we've got a wonderful Australian, John Salisbury, is a dear friend of the show, and um, he has walked to Canberra and he's walked to Sydney on a couple of, oh, I call them pilgrimages. 
right to, to raise awareness for for Palestine and and particularly around oh, um, the Labor Party recognizing Palestine as a, as a country as a state and and those walks have been you know significant you know sort of five to seven hundred kilometers but you know right, he's had a, right. he's had a, he's got a brilliant wife who's accompanied him and she's sort of her and the dog have sort of driven ahead and they mark where he got to oh, during okay, the day yeah. and then she picks him up drives him forward you know 80 right. miles or whatever to the hotel and then drives him back in the morning and then he starts off again so oh, okay you, you, you've got no support crew at all no not at all i mean i'm, I'm completely by myself um, having, I mean, I've got people back in the UK, a couple of good friends who are helping me with social media, who put um, uh, stuff up on my Facebook page and on, on uh, Instagram and TikTok. So I've got that that backup support, uh, and I, I, I do derive a lot of support from the, you know, the, all, all of the, the interaction that there is with my, with my, certainly with my Facebook page, my mixed walk to Palestine. It, it, it is really heartening and strengthening to get all of the. To see all of the supportive comments that I get there, but but in terms of day to day stuff, no, I'm 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 completely by, I'm completely by myself. It thoroughly is amazing. Now they can't possibly do something that supports Palestine and not be tarred with a brush of anti-Semitism. Have you had any trouble? Yes. No, I, I haven't actually. Um, and it's interesting. I mean, um, I know exactly what you mean. It's been a deliberate attempt. Uh, certainly in the UK and I think a lot of other countries as well to conflate criticism of Israel with uh, anti-Semitism, uh, and you know there's been the, the 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 imposition of the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism it's certainly in the UK and across Europe, where, which very explicitly um, makes reference to um, calling referring to Israel as, a, as an apartheid state as as, as being anti-Semitic. I haven't actually encountered a great pushback against what I've been doing. Sometimes you get some few trolls, trolls, uh, on making comments on the on the Facebook page, but very, very few actually. Um, and the media, when I have had, you know, I've had significant media interest from Al Jazeera, uh, from the media back in in my my home my home region in, in the northeast, uh, and some other outlets as well. And it's it's interesting. They certainly, for example, the 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 local media back in in Newcastle, northeast of England, they did a very positive story, um, which is very pro-Palestinian. And I was expecting there to be a lot of pushback against that, but surprisingly, there wasn't. So no, apparently, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't been, I haven't been targeted in that way uh, with accusations of, uh, of of anti-Semitism. That's not to say that it won't happen, mm-hmm. um, but as yet, that that hasn't been a problem for me. Now, Mick, you're um, an old-school Irish activist. You're, you've been around long enough to um, have been an internationalist and a socialist and, you know, come to Palestine early. I haven't actually spoken to anyone from the UK with respect to the hatchet job done on, on Jeremy Corbyn. Yes, yeah, yeah. What an absolute disaster. Oh, it, it really was. It really was. I mean, um, I've been on all sorts of levels. I mean, I've been a... Um, an active member of the Labour Party ever since I was old enough to join the Labour Party in, in, in my teens. I've been a Labour Party uh, official, in ter- you know, an unpaid official in terms of branch secretary, and I was also a, a councillor, an elected councillor in my home city of Newcastle as well for the Labour Party. When Jeremy Corbyn took up, was, was elected leader back in 2015, 
um, my, myself and a lot of other people who who were from the, the socialist wing of the party, if you like, which is what the party's about to be about, were delighted by this. Mm. But then we saw such a huge pushback against that and how anti-Semitism was really weaponized against them uh, as a means of trying to undermine undermine his leadership. And it was actually shocking the how that was done with the collusion of elements in the British media, um, elements within his own party, unfortunately, party bureaucracy, some elements in the trade union movement. Um, but it was absolutely shocking. Uh, and when when he and other people tried to sort of say, look, this is the, the, the whole issue about anti-Semitism, the anti-Semitism in the party has been exaggerated and has been weaponized. Um, that in itself was seen as, as, as treated as, as an anti, anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic yeah. statement. So it has been shocking. It's been really shocking. And We've lost a, a great, you know, a, a great socialist person, a man of integrity, got a lifelong commitment to to anti-racism, uh, to fascism, to anti-fighting fascism. He's got great support from the Jewish community, in, including in his own constituency. Um, and how he's how he's being treated and vilified is, is absolutely disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. And for a moment, and for a moment, there was a glimmer of hope that you know socialism could push back against this monster that is. Uh, you know, consuming us all over the world, you know, imperialist, it, capitalistic. It, it, exactly, uh, that's right, that's right. I mean, it was very, you know, and, and, and it was a progressive politics that he was espousing, and it wasn't anything that was, I mean, really, what, what he was taught, the, 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 the politics and the policies which were which were represented by Jeremy Corbyn, well, what, 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 what should be called Labour Party policies, and which were the policies yeah. advocated and followed by the party going back, you know, from the Second World War, the creation of the welfare state, uh, and right up until the you know the party veered towards adopting a, a neoliberal uh, approach uh, in, in the nineties. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was it was it was a great moment, wasn't it? You know, it, it, we thought that this is a real chance, and we came so close in so in close. the elections in uh, two thousand seventeen. That's right, we came so close with, with the whole party, well, the, the machinations behind the party working against him. Yes. I mean, oh, they've that, that, right. thrown that's their right. energy at him. I mean, and this is, you know, something I talk about with people when I talk about socialism. You know, during COVID for two years, depending on where you were, and we were uh, mm. in Melbourne in Australia, the most lockdown city in the world, we spent close to two years mm. in and out of lockdown. Yeah. The banks weren't allowed yeah. to take your house off you. Landlords weren't allowed to kick you out. Utilities weren't allowed to turn yes. the power off. Yeah. You were given a yes. living wage to stay at home. I mean, yes. you know, it was socialism, and the world didn't explode. <laughs> and it worked. Yeah, there was no because there was no tourism. What they did was they housed the homeless in in the hotels. You know, yeah, yeah, it, it worked. Now, it, don't get me wrong. It's the same in the UK. That's right. When there's a political will, just say, that's a really good example that you've raised there about uh, uh, the issue of homelessness. Um, it was the same in the UK. They had a policy of every everyone in um, once once the lockdown was declared, and and within you know within a matter of weeks, the resources of the state and local authorities were mobilised uh, to ensure everybody was housed, given uh, at least temporary accommodation. So it shows whether whether there's a political will, these problems which are described as intractable and going to take years and years and years to to deal with can can be can be resolved. Can be resolved just if there's the political will, and certainly Jeremy had that exactly. in, in space, and he had a plan and a method. He did indeed. He did. And you know, we, we we watch on from afar and hear about the stories of what's happening to the NHS, and we hear the stories about 
you know, yeah. the housing crisis and the rental crisis. And certainly in Australia, we're, we're yeah. suffering from that to a degree as well. Yeah. yeah. This neoconservatism. And listeners, we're talking to Mick from Mick's Walk to Palestine, and we're, we're straight off the topic of Palestine. But these things are so very connected. You know, Palestine. They are indeed. Yeah, they are. Palestine stands as the nexus between imperialism, between Western hegemony, between mm. capitalism, as a buttress. Mm. With the with the mm. end of the apartheid fascist state of Israel and the return of Palestine to the Palestinians, whether they be Muslim, Christian, or Jewish, that yeah. tomorrow that we dream and work towards is actually the first domino in the end of. Uh, Western hegemony and imperialism, and no, 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 I agree, I agree, and I think that you you see the 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 issue of the the issue of what's happened to the Palestinian people very much is, say epitomizes the, the wider you know the wider scale geopolitical processes which 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 are operating and which are controlling our world and I and are and are there and which are keeping keeping the situation this huge injustice uh, continuing. And you know, shamefully, our certainly the UK government, most European governments, American government, not only collude with not only collude with Israel, but uh, actively empower it uh, and enable it to carry out its oppression through you know su- supplying its arms, uh, protecting its impunity from uh, from any active scrutiny or repercussions for its actions as well. It is absolutely like I, I'm, most of our listeners, Mick, pay attention to world news. And it would not be lost mm. on any uh, Australian listener. The mm. United Kingdom's recent language against around refugees about them being oh, illegal. Oh yes, that's shameful. And that's another another part of your yeah. work is actually raising awareness around refugees. It it is indeed, and obviously the the refugee issue and the Palestinian issue are very closely interrelated, given the fact that the majority of Pal- Palestinians are living as refugees. Um, and they are the largest single refugee group in the world, and they're, st- they're experiencing forced displacement going back to you know going back to the Nakba in, in nineteen uh, in nineteen forty eight. So the two issues are very much two issues are very much interrelated. But yes, I mean the the the, the language and the, the 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 policies which have been adopted by the UK government, some of which they learned from the Australian government yeah, in terms yeah. of outsourcing, offshoring, offshoring, offshoring um, the whole asylum process. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely disgraceful. And this whole emphasis on the... I saw a video of Rishi Sunak almost verbatim the language that our prime ministers of late have been speaking, you know. You will not be resettled yeah. here. If you try and come illegally, we will send you back. Yeah. Um, famously, you know, yeah. our conservative, our Margaret Thatcher, John Howard, John Winston Howard, said, "You yeah, will decide who comes and yeah. in the manner in which they'll come." Uh, really, yeah. Um, yeah. demonising and belittling, you know, quote unquote, boat people. It is. It's absolutely shocking, isn't it? Yeah. That's right, and it's in complete denial of uh, responsibilities under, under international law. Uh, you know, the, the the refugee convention. Our responsibilities as humans. It, well, exactly. Yes, that's right. It's a, yes, ex- exactly. Our... Just as humans. I mean, international law is an important yes, thing, but we've yes. seen countries flout that. Yep. But just as human beings, we have responsibilities. We, we do. You know, if, if Mick's house is on fire, my job is to go and try yeah. and save him. No, exactly. And, you know, he, should, he, should, he lives with me until we can fix his house. And 
Um, you know, if I've got one loaf of bread and Mick's got none, we've both got half yeah. a loaf of bread. That's no, fully, what humanity is. I fully agree. I fully agree. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But, but if you're if you're Rishi Sunak or John Winston Howard, I think they've only got one piece of bread and there's nothing left for us. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and, and it's it, it's actually it's 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 escalated again. The the one of the saddest sort of things, if you like, from from my background as a Labour Party activist, is how the Labour Party is 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 now officially sort of colluding with that and isn't challenging either on grounds of morality or legality uh, what the Conservatives are doing, but are, are going along with it and playing this game of who can who can be the toughest on on immigration. So it's it's, it's in, in this, the whole issue of asylum. So it's really shocking. You say the whole the whole issue of humanity has been taken out of it. That played out exactly the same here. Um, yeah. The conservatives were saying, you know, the Labor Party's weak on, weak on yeah. refugees. They're going to allow floods of them to come and yes. there'll be drownings, and it'll be their fault because they're soft on uh, these illegals. And we need to send a clear message. And look, the reality in where the world has come, you know, post Boris Johnson, Donald Trump, Viktor Orban. Bolsonaro in, in Brazil, Modi in India, these yeah. individualistic, chauvinistic, racist, um, this is my populist, yeah, this is mine, uh, my country and my people alone. Yeah. And it resonates, you know, that, yeah. you know what, Steve, you don't, your job was taken by that refugee. And yeah. You know, I saw this great meme many years ago and said, you know, if Abdul came from Afghanistan and sold his wife's jewellery and dowry to get a ticket to get to Iran and then onto a boat to somehow got to Indonesia and then spent a couple of years in detention then somehow got a temporary protection visa and then got a job with no language and no income and no support network. And if, if he took your job, Steve, maybe you're shit. And the problem isn't that he took your job, but rather that the uh, system that sits in place today has made, you know, what you do as a vocation uh, not pay enough to live. Yeah, no, exactly, I know. I mean, I think the, as well as the the issues are embedded in, you know, the inequality, inequalities and the of the world in which we live and how uh, elites maintain that position of power by, by scapegoating. So, you know, refugees, asylum seekers, a scapegoat, just in exactly, in exactly the way that you've said that, they're taking your jobs, they're taking your healthcare provision, they're taking your kids' places at schools. You know, that that's the issue and not the, the underlying inequality and the hollowing out of the whole public sector uh, as a result of austerity over the past 15 years. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's, it's a cynical sca- scapegoating process as well. Mick, oh, I wonder, we watched on from Australia from afar at the Leave campaign uh, of the EU. It, it's been some time now. Mm. What's the feeling there now? I mean, I think there's a, a there's a resignation that you know it, it can't be it can't be undone. People who but the, the you know, economic you know, benefits and all, all the stuff that was supposed to flow through oh, no, nothing, that, farage nothing nothing's happened, has it? Oh no, it was it was all it was all built on built on lies. This whole idea, for example, that uh, the money that was supposedly going to Europe would we wouldn't have to pay that, and then be going and pumped into the NHS and put the other areas of the public sector it was a com- it was a complete lie and a complete re- misrepresentation of how the funding arrangements worked. Um, regions such as where such as mine in the northeast of England, uh, we we particularly suffered because we had a uh, very strong uh, trading base with 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 Europe for our manufacturing industries in the area, and they've suffered as a result of that. So the and you see it across the you know sec- very important sectors such as social care, uh, how dependent they were. 
uh, upon people come, you know, the, the, the people coming in from 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 other parts of from other parts of Europe to work in the social care system. So no, it's been a that has not been any any of the claimed economic benefits from 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 it at all. It was just based on this horrible chauvinism, a misdirected sense that somehow Europe was responsible for a lot of internal problems that, that we had. Again, it was a, it was a misdi- it was a misdirection. It was, it was scapegoating. Now, Mick, very quickly, we've about a minute left. How can people support you? We'll put a link to your Facebook page on the podcast. And that would be excellent. So if people go to Facebook and then just look up Mick's Walk to Palestine, M-I-C-K, apostrophe S, Mick's Walk to Palestine. They can follow you there. And the same on Instagram and TikTok? Mick's Walk, Mick's Walk to Palestine, and that'll come up. Yes, a couple of the people back in the UK put some put some stuff on um, on Instagram and TikTok with me. I'm not particularly all fit, all fit with that, but I do the I write all of the posts and provide the photographs for the for the Facebook page. So yeah, people can look at that. There's usually about I usually do about two or three posts a week, and it's not just a, a travel log. I, I, I try to to use it as, as an awareness raising tool about the you know about the issue of what's happened to the Palestinians, but also refugees as well. And there's links into different organisations such as Medical Aid for Palestinians. So. I said earlier that I'm not doing this as a fundraiser, and I'm, and I'm not. But if people want to make donations, it'd be great if they make a donation directly to either medical aid for Palestinians or to uh, care for Cali. Yeah, beautiful. Fantastic. Thanks so very much for joining us, Matt. No, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, thanks very much, Nessa. Uh, it's, it's great that you're taking the interest to do this. So thanks. And any way I can help, that's great. Thank you. Mate, I, I look forward to you getting into Palestine, posting the fact that you got in there and and if you get a chance, perhaps we can have a quick, uh, quick call whilst you're in Palestine. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be delighted to do that. Yeah, that'd be great. Fantastic, listeners. That was Mick from Mick's Walk to Palestine. We'll put a link to his Facebook page, Instagram, and TikTok in the podcast. You can go there and get it. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, share the podcast, and remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.